Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Under, Golf Pride, Strixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball. Sun Mountain Golf Bags. Finn Scooters, making the game more fun. Adele Golf. Hit it, flip it, dial it in. And the Mclemore Club Experience, live above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Hey, good evening, folks, and thank you for joining me on Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. My, aren't we in an interesting time in the history of our game? Early this year, people were saying the Live Tour would never see the light of day. Then they said, well, none of the top players would ever go play over there. Then when a few players did, they made fun of the fact that they needed several amateurs to fill out the first field. Now, it's a steady stream of one to two players a week resigning from the PGA Tour and heading over there with Brooks Kepka and Abraham Anser being two of the newest ones. Now the tour is in full panic mode. They held a players-only meeting today. Jay Monahan is going to be holding a press conference tomorrow. In response to what the Live Tour is doing, they're talking about creating eight limited field events starting next year, with purses of $20 million or more, no cuts, with the top 50 players from the FedEx Cup standings competing in those events, Boy, sure does sound an awful lot like the Live Tour. What's next? They're going to be going back to those band players and say, please, come back. See, we can do that too. We sure are learning a lot about the PGA Tour right now. We'll get into all of that plus a whole lot more with my guest tonight. But before we do that, I want to thank all of you for voting next on the tee up to number two in the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list for the June edition. You guys are so great. I'm so thankful for all of your support. We have one goal left to reach, and that's getting to number one. So please vote for the show. You can do so daily by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. Again, I really appreciate all of your wonderful support. Okay, on to tonight's show. First up with me will be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. I'll get TP's thoughts on what's going on between the PGA and Live Tour. Plus, we'll look back to last weekend's U.S. Open. And if Will Zalatoris was one of his students, and Will has now finished second three times in a major, what would he say to him? Tom will be here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from top 50 LPGA instructor Debbie O'Connell. You guys know how much I love Debbie. I'll get Debbie's thoughts on the Live Tour. And just like last week with Cindy Miller... I want to get Debbie's thoughts on the whispers in the wind of a women's live tour. Could the LPGA survive if that happened? We'll also talk about how to stay in the present when we're playing the best round of our life. And one of our buddies says, hey, you know what? If you par these last two holes, you'll break 80 or 90 or whatever our best score is. How do we stay in the present and not get away from what we were doing when suddenly we realize how well we're playing? Debbie will join me about 25 minutes from now. Following her, I'll be joined by former LPGA Tour Commissioner and now author, Charlie Meacham. Charlie has a wonderful new book out titled Arnie and Jack. It's full of great stories from his decades-long friendships with both of them. 
We'll hear several of those great stories when he joins me a little bit later on in the hour. Then we'll round out tonight's show by talking with Stephen Yellen. Stephen has developed a program called Fluid Motion Factor. It's essentially about how do we get out of our own way and make the swing we know we are capable of making. He's worked with tour players like Scott McCarron, Robert Allenby, Lee Jansen, Gabby Lopez, and Trevor Immelman. We'll learn more about how to be fluid when he joins me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. My buddies and I were there again a few weeks ago for our annual golf trip, and it was even better our second time around. Everything about the place is first class. The accommodations we had up there were fantastic. The practice facility is great and got even greater now that with the opening of their new Himalayas putting course. The on-premise restaurant, which is called The Craig, has outstanding food and service. And to say the course is spectacular is an understatement. I can't say enough great things about the place, folks. Go online to themacklemore.com to see how spectacular it is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend and recent guest and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. And Lynx Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See why we're all saying such great things about the course and the resort by going online to themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf's an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made the all-new Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cap-back design and a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance throughout the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional, or maybe not so occasional, less-than-perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade, Beyond Driven. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tom is back up in Charlottesville, Virginia, for his second year at Farmington Country Club. So if you're in the Virginia, West Virginia, or D.C. areas, go see Tom over there and take your game to a whole new level this summer, folks. If you can't go see him in person, well, then download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing. He can help get you dialed in through the app. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram, at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel, where you can watch nearly 150 free video playing lessons. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, and he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Chrissy, boy! <laughs> hey, TPR, you my friend? Chrissy, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm just recovering from a couple of days on the road, but I'm, I'm good. Tom, I want to start our time tonight. We got, we got good news on U.S. Open side. We'll get to that in a minute, because bad news always first. But the stuff going on with this live tour, my friend... And the rumor has it that Brooks Kepka and Abraham Answer are going to be the next two to resign from the PGA Tour to go over and play on Live. Today there was a players-only meeting. The tour announced that next year they're going to be doing some limited field events with the top 50 players from the FedEx Cup standings. Guaranteed payouts, no cuts, purses of $20 million or more. 
Sounds pretty live Torres to me, TP. What's your thoughts about what we're hearing? Yeah, Chris, you know, it's just, it's just a mess, and, and nothing about it is good for golf. I mean, you know, I, I mean, when, when when I turned pro originally and played and played, and, and all my friends played and we chased the dream, we never played for the money. We You know, we played – money was a byproduct. We played to win golf tournaments, and uh, – and this whole thing is such a mess. It's it's just it's ugly on every on every front. It's 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 ugly what Liv has done. I don't think the tour has responded particularly well the way they've reacted. Uh it's it's created division between, you know, guys who are actually good friends and have played together for long periods of time. There's just there's just I just don't see an upside to any of it as far as what it's done to the game and to the fans watching the game. Tom, have we underestimated this thing? I mean, you go back to the early parts of this year, right? When we were talking about this live tour thing, ah, people are like, ah, it'll never get off the ground and it'll never see the light of day. And then it sort of progressed to, well, you know what? None of the top players would ever go over there and play. And then it was, well, you know what? They had to fill out the field with amateurs. They're not going to get enough guys to play. No one's going to watch. And now it's sort of like every week it seems like there's another one or, or two players trickling over there. Were we wrong? Was was everybody wrong about what Greg Norman had in the allure, whether it's the allure of the money or whatever people want to say their reason why they're willing to go play over there? But did we underestimate it? Well, a couple of things you didn't underestimate and you were correct about. Nobody did really watch because <laughs> there was no really place to watch it other than on YouTube. Other than on YouTube. Um, and as far as being a golf tournament, I don't consider 54 holes with no cut an automatic payday as a golf tournament. That's just a glorified outing. So um, we didn't underestimate the fact that it's really not a golf tournament. It's it's a it's a money grab. So it, let's so let's call it what it is. Because they're not golf tournaments, and we shouldn't call them golf tournaments because they're not golf tournaments. They're they're money grabs. Um, I don't know anybody. Myself personally, and I, I, you know, I'm in touch with a lot of golfers that watched one shot that was hit during the first event. I, I don't know anybody personally that watched any of it. So, did we underestimate the fact that people would be greedy and take the money? No, I don't think we ever underestimated that. We knew there was going to be there were going to be a portion of the professional population that that said, "Listen, I got to I got to grab it while the grabbing is good," and and they did. And it's it's listen, you probably could have sat down, you and I at a table. If somebody said, you pick the 20 guys that are going to go for this, we probably could come up with the right 20 names, um, who's gone and why they've gone. Um, does it have does it have legs and momentum? It has legs and momentum in the sense that it's hurting the PGA Tour. It's hurting a product that's been established and run very well and done great things for charity for a lot of, time, for a lot of years. Uh, and provided the guys are a place to play and develop their skill. Um, but I go back to what I said at the beginning. I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call them golf tournaments. They're, they're events of some kind, but they're not golf tournaments. Tom, I had Kip Henley on the show a couple of weeks ago. And Kip talked about how the PGA Tour players may be the most underpaid athletes in sports. And as you know, with Major League Baseball and NFL contracts, we're used to hearing about players signing all the time for 10 years, 300 million, you know, 200 million guaranteed. And then Liv came around and they sort of followed that model. They're giving guys, a, you know, $100 million, $200 million signing bonuses. And those guys are still going to get paid every week. Do you think that in, in a world where we're used to seeing those kind of crazy contracts now, these young kids, 
you know, the guys that are just coming on tour, the 22, 24, 26 year olds that read every day about an NFL or major league player signing a crazy contract and then seeing what Liv is willing to do foregoing that I, I want to win a major, I want to go down in PGA tour history. Boy, they're seeing the money and they're seeing the contract and say, you know what? Yeah, sign me up. Is there a question there? <laughs> I'm just saying. If you see the young kids that are used to seeing athletes get paid a ton of money and you don't get that on the PGA Tour, right? It's the meritocracy. Right? You either you win or you go home. And if you go home early, you're going home with, you know, ungats in your pockets. So could they be looking at an opportunity to go make guaranteed money over the PGA Tour, and that's what the allure is to, we could see more young guys go do it. And Chris, we're talking about the Live Tour in the same exact time frame and time period that we're talking about in college sports, name, image, and likeness. Um, the world has changed tremendously in the last 24 to 36 months, and I don't think for the better. I mean, I, I don't think you can compare the golfer historically to the baseball player, the basketball player, the football player. It's a different animal. It always has been a different animal. And maybe, unfortunately, sooner will not be a different animal. Um, I'm going to go back to what you and I said off air a little while ago. When I turned professional originally, I didn't turn professional because I was trying to make a million dollars. I wanted to win golf tournaments. My goal was to win, you know, as a professional. And everybody I played against, their goal was to win golf tournaments. And the dream was of every golfer that even got close to that level of play was to win a major or to make their imprint of golf history. So this generation has looked at it entirely differently. And maybe for that, uh, and maybe for that reason, I'm a dinosaur and guys of my generation are dinosaurs. And I, I'm sure that if Mr. Palmer was alive today, he wouldn't be really thrilled, thrilled with the live tour and with the live tour idea or the defection of players. Um, so maybe I'm the wrong guy to comment it, but it, it's not my cup of tea. It's not, I don't think it's good for golf. I don't think it's good for the history of the game. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm saddened a little bit that the PGA Tour has to resort to trying to, you know, one up them or try, or try to one up them and just, just holding their place. Um, it, it's, it's not good. It's not, it's not healthy for the game. Tom, let's switch gears and talk about, uh, maybe happier things. And, uh, we just had a very exciting U.S. Open. Matthew Fitzpatrick, Will Zalatoris, Scotty Scheffler. Those guys put on a great show during the final round and coming down the stretch. What did you think about what you saw at the country club? Well, I was I was thrilled to see a, a really old line golf did, first of all. The country club really did themselves proud in the way that golf course handled the, handled the world-class players. And I think I agree with you, Chris, a thousand percent of the players in response put on a hell of a show. Um just it was it was exciting. It was uh, it was nail biting. It was real real quality golf under really difficult circumstances. There were some incredible golf shots hit, and 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 it was drama right to the last green and the last putt. Um, Zalatoris is uh, is has done himself proud several times to come up empty. I think it's just a matter of time. And and Matthew Fitzpatrick, the storyline of staying in the same house, staying in the same bed. And, and winning the amateur and the open on the same golf course, uh, it's like fairy tale stuff, you know, really, really fairy tale stuff. And, and Scotty Scheffler and, and the guys right around that area and John Rahm and, you know, just, just played some really quality golf. Uh, it, it was, it was one of the best opens in a long time, I thought. And Tom, the shot Matthew Fitzpatrick hit 
from that fairway Woo! bunker on 18. Woo! I'm not sure I've seen a better approach shot on a 72nd hole of a major. Maybe Sandy Lyle shot in 88 at Augusta National, but that was a heck of a fairway bunker shot. You know, we can go back to the shot hit on 18 at Hazeltine or the shot at Oak Hill, and you know, I'm going to let you name those two players, Chris, because you're a golf historian. You should be able to come up with those. Uh, Rich Beam, um, the shot he hit coming down the stretch. Um, but that's going to go down as one of the all-time, it's going to go, you know, it's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. That shot, I mean, that I, I've played the golf course. I know what those bunkers look like. I, I know where he was on 18 and, and that was not a shot with a stain of heart right there at all. Uh, I think in a lot of respects, if you compared the bunker shot he hit there in 18 to one Sandy Lyle hit, I thought Matthews was more difficult in a lot of respects. Uh, the proximity of the lip, um, and what he had to negotiate there, I thought was even more difficult than Sandy's shot. But, uh, just an incredible, incredible golf shot at that exact moment in time under that pressure. It'll it'll be replayed for a long time. You mentioned Will Zalatoris a moment ago. He's clearly one of the best young players we have in the game. He's now finished second three times in a major. If he's Tom Patry's student, what are you telling him Sunday night after coming in second again? I'm telling him to do exactly what he's been doing, not change a thing, uh, and not listen to the pontiffs out there that are going to slam him for this, slam him for that. He's, he's hitting too many quality golf shots. Um, key junctures and just getting beat by somebody who just played better that week. Um, you know, not only has he finished second on, uh, in three majors, because he's, he's been snake bitten some regulatory events too, right down the stretch. This time is coming. And I, and listen, let's keep in mind, he's a youngster. He's got a lot of golf ahead of him. Um, I, th- I think he's gonna, he's gonna break through soon and, and, and have a wonderful career. He's, he's a hell of a ball striker. Um, He's got a few things to figure out with the putter, but he's he's really close. I mean, obviously very, very close. Uh, the score says that. Um, but I would tell him to change absolutely nothing. And speaking of guys knocking on the door, Matthew Fitzpatrick's caddy, Billy Foster, he's been on the bag for a number of runner-up finishes over his 40 years caddying. He's been on the bag for guys like Seve and Lee Westwood, Sergio, a few times for Tiger, unfortunately not when Tiger won a major. But he had never been on the bag for a win in a major until Sunday. That's a heck of a feel-good story as well. Yeah, it really. Billy Foster is a, one, of the, one of the great bag toters in the world in the history of the game, actually. You put him up there with you know, just about anybody that, that, that's known in that, in that craft um, and, and is a professional in what he does. And I couldn't have been any happy for him. But I've had the occasion to meet him on a couple of occasions um, during my study time. Um, and he's just a likable guy. And, really worked hard in this craft, so it was, it was nice to see him on the right bag at the right time. And Tom, one question that I heard from a lot of fans last week was, how could players that have been suspended by the PGA Tour be, be, be out there playing in the U.S. Open? And what fans don't realize is the PGA Tour doesn't run any of the majors. Talk about that. Yeah, they don't. You know, obviously we, we know, oh, many of us don't know that the uh, U.S. Open is run by the USGA, the Open Championship by the RNA, the PGA Championship by the PGA of America, and the Masters by the Augusta National Membership. Um, so the PGA Tour does not control the four majors, unless you consider the you know, Tournament Players Championship the fifth major, which a lot of us do. Um, so 
I thought, and, and I was dead wrong, uh, maybe it'll change in the future, but I don't see it right now. I thought some of those organizations would line up behind the PGA Tour and support them, and clearly they have not, uh, which makes this thing even more divisive. So we're in a, we're in a very, very interesting time, Chris, with, with a lot of possibilities and a lot of different storylines, and none of us really know how this is going to play out exactly. Um, but again, the, the thing that saddens me as a golf professional and as somebody who cares about the game, both on the amateur side and the professional competitive side, is we are divided right now, and, it, and it's not pretty, and, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's not good for golf. Tom, you and I have been pretty hard on the USGA over the years for how they've let some of the courses get away from them and the setup of a U.S. Open like at Chambers Bay in 2015 and Shinnecock Hills back in 2004. But like you mentioned, this weekend was spectacular. It feels like since Michael Wan has taken over for Mike Davis, things with the USGA have vastly improved. Are you more optimistic now or are you still in wait-and-see mode? I'm a little bit in wait-and-see mode. I'm, I, I think they did a nice job at Brookline. Uh, it was clearly one of their best Opens in a long time. Um, you know, I I don't totally, you know, I, I was not a Mike Davis fan, but I don't totally slam Mike Davis. They got some very unusual circumstances and a couple of those things that happened, uh, like the putting surface at Shinnecock that year and so forth and so on. We go back and point our fingers at all different things. Weather is always a factor. When you stress a golf course that much in, in, in summertime conditions, uh, if, if you get a, a little bit of a wrong weather situation come through, whether it's a lack of humidity or a lack of rain or, you, you know, you just, you want to, you want to push the surf grass to a, to a, a tipping point. Um, you're always running risk, um, of it getting away from you. Um, and certainly Mike Davis was at the helm a couple of times when that happened. It could happen to anybody in that circumstance with, 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 a, with a, in a blink of an eye. But clearly Mike Warren has done, Mike Warren has done a nice job so far. Um, I'm still in wait and see mode. Tom, you've got one of your students coming up playing in the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Talk about her. Yeah, Chris, I, I have a young lady, Megan Francella, who, who was a student of mine since the time she was 12 years old. She's, She's 40 now. She had a successful career on tour, won twice on the LPGA Tour. Actually, her third event on tour, she'd be on it with Sorenstam in a playoff in Mexico City. Uh, was an All-American in North Carolina, won the ACC's in North Carolina. Um, she's been away from competitive golf for nine years uh, and is now a teaching professional at the Philadelphia Cricket Club. They should be very proud of her. Via the uh, LPGA National Championship last year, She, as a club pro, she finished fifth which got her into the KPMG. So she's playing her first major in nine years. I just spent three years at Congressional with her, uh, working through the practice rounds with her. Um, she played last week on a sponsor exemption at um, the ShopRite and missed the cut by a shot. She had 74-69, missed the cut by a shot in her first event back in nine years. She's really swinging at a good, Chris. Uh, amazingly, she's 40. She, she probably hit it better the last three days down in practice. But I saw her hit it when she was on tour. Um, Congressional was in incredible shape. They just announced it, and all you know, if you know this or not, Chris, but they announced that the the LPGA championship, the KPMG, went from 4.5 million today to 9 million. They doubled oh today. 
Uh, I think what they did is they took Phil Mickelson's money they they took back from him <laughs> and probably put it in the purse there. Um, but it's uh, it, it's the richest event in women's golf. Uh, 1.5 million to the winner. Uh, so I told Megan if she if she makes the cut and, and it's coming down the stretch on Sunday, I'll be there. And if she wins, she she owes me a new car. So I got a lot riding on this thing. So I hope she hope she makes a lot of 25 footers and 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 plays her rear end off. But I'm really pulling for her. It's exciting for her. It's, it was exciting to be down there with her again. It's been a long time since we've been on a tour event together. Um, so I, you know, obviously I've got my fingers crossed for her. Yeah, I do as well. So I'll be watching her and rooting for TP to get a new car. How exciting! Yeah, a new car for the kid. Yeah, the white feast would go away, Chris. Oh man, that needs to go in a museum somewhere. Someone's got to display that thing. <laughs> Crying out loud. Tom, one more before I let you go. Got to get a playing lesson from you tonight. And speaking of making 25 footers, talk to me about on the putting green. Are, are you a forward press or no forward press when you're teaching your students the putting stroke? You know, Chris, that's a great question, actually. We were just talking about this. I've always had a little bit of a forward press in my own stroke. Uh, I think you're going to be very, very careful if you're going to initiate a putting stroke or a forward press. There's a very, very fine line between forward pressing in a square manner or forward pressing and getting the, getting the face a little bit open. You got to be very cognizant of how you forward press. You, you do need a trigger. I believe in triggers, both in the full swing and, and the putting stroke. But if it's going to be a forward press, you've got to be very ca- careful with what you're doing in terms of face control. So how do you, how do you tell if you're out of control? How do you know if you're opening the face? Is there something? That we should look yeah, at because well, if we knew we were doing it, we wouldn't. Sure. Well, so, you know, you can. I, I use a chalk line a lot on the greens. I'll get the line on your putter uh, sitting directly above the chalk line that you, you've placed on the green itself. And when you forward press, if you're a line on your putter, doesn't remain in concert with the line on the ground, you can tell you deviated the face. Uh, and it's a, like I said, it's a very fine line, Chris. It's a visual that you've got to be in, t- in tune with. Uh, and, and it's very, very important that you pay attention to it. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on your website and on social media as well. Chris, I'd rather talk about the fact that you guys have jumped to number two now in, in this podcast poll. Let's talk about that for a second, man. That is unbelievable. And I'm always one of the guys, uh, you know, clicking on that link and, 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 and voting. Um it's such a, an incredible tribute to you and the show and and all the great guests you have on and, and, and the way you tee us all for great questions, pal. So congratulations to you. Who cares about when, how they find me? Uh, I'm just so happy for you and, and 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 I just want to get that little number one up there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna load the ballot box as much as I can in the next couple of weeks. But uh, man, it's just a tribute to what a great job you've done with this show and with entertaining all of us out here. Well, I appreciate that very much, my friend. It is really more a, a reflection of you and who my guests are than it is anything about me, but I appreciate your support, my friend. Yeah, you're the best, pal. I, I love being on with you. There's only our 450 millionth show. Um, <laughs> they gotta be tired. They gotta be tired of listening to me. Uh, please tell Debbie O'Connell hi. Please tell Charlie Meacham hi. Both dear friends of mine and pal, you're the best. I appreciate you, my friend. I think you're the best. Take care, my friend. All the best to to you and and your students and to Megan, and look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks, pal. Talk to you soon. See you, Tom. That is the great Tom Patry, tompatry.com. 
Tom Patrick Golf on Twitter and Instagram. And folks, you got to go out there and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Why wouldn't you? 150 free videos that are going to take your game to the next level. Free, by the way. Go out and subscribe, folks. He is going to do wonders for your golf game and your scores and your wallet on the 19th hole. Before I get to my next guest, Debbie O'Connell, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Strixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Strixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Strixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Strixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Strixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Shrixon. Check them out online at Shrixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the Valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now next on the tee with me and making her 11th appearance on the show is not only one of my all-time favorite guests, but just one of my all-time favorite people anywhere, and that's Debbie O'Connell. Let me remind you about Debbie's background. She is an LPGA Class A teaching and club professional. In 2002, she was named the LPGA National Professional of the Year and the LPGA Southeast Section Professional of the Year as well. In 2004, her high school alma mater, Ridgeway High, up in New Jersey, inducted her into their Athletics Hall of Fame. In 2007, she won the inaugural Nancy Lopez Golf Achievement Award, which is given annually to the person who emulates the qualities valued by Nancy, which are leadership, passion, giving, and approachability. She is annually named one of the top 50 instructors by the LPGA, as well as Golf Digest for being one of the top 50 female teachers in America. In 2016, she was named the Northeast Section Teacher of the Year. She's also a media professional, having been featured in Ladies Links for Golf Magazine and on LPGA.com. She hosted her own show, the Debbie O'Connell Radio Show, for a decade, and the Par for the Course TV show as well. She is the founder of Golf Positive. She's written a book titled Golf Positive, Live Positive, Lessons in Golf and Life. And I'm very excited she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Debbie, how are you, my friend? I am fantastic and so excited, Chris, to be here with you. You are amazing, and it's truly an honor and a privilege. I can't believe 11th time? Yeah, 11 times. You kidding me? How lucky am I? How lucky am I? This is phenomenal. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. Absolutely. So it's been a, a minute since I got to have you as part of the show, Debbie. So catch us up. What's been going on with you so far on 22? Well, I have been going deep on my mindset work. You know, that's always been a passion for me. And, you know, obviously by the name of my book and company with the Golf Positive and Live Positive, 
how to help people be in a better state. And, and I'm really niching down into actual like flow state in golf, like how to get my students and how to teach like the possibility of getting in flow state, the actions it takes. So I've really, I am now master certified in neurolinguistic programming which is basically neuro is the mind and linguistic is language. So the language of your mind and timeline therapy and uh, master practitioner in, in both and hypnotherapy, which has been so interesting. And I've been working on golf meditation. So uh, all of that has been exciting. I run, I do programs and I'm back doing corporate golf outings, which I'm very excited about. I love the corporate outings. And then I, I get to share this uh, information in the speaking engagement. So, a lot's going on. Everything is wonderful uh, as far as the golf positive arena and my clients. And, the, and, and it's just, I love it. I love being with people again in person and working with people. So I'm just, I'm just thrilled. And here we are on the number two uh, podcast out there, soon to be number one. <laughs> so you said a couple of things there I want to dive into further. So you mentioned flow state. Talk about what that is. You know what? Most Everyone has experienced it in their life and or sports, sporting events or golf game. And it's one of those moments when you are so absorbed in the moment, the outcome doesn't matter at all, and your mind and consciously is completely quiet, the unconscious mind takes over, and it's when you hit that shot and you're not really sure what happened. And it was the most perfect, beautiful shot you've hit. Now, Tiger Woods basically explained this flow state in an interview years ago when he said, you know, some of the biggest shots of my career, the most pressure-packed, the most challenging, have been an interesting concept for me in that I basically blacked out. And in, in, in what he was saying, he doesn't remember it. So he said, I remember pulling the club out of my bag. And I remember watching the ball land, but I really don't remember what happened in between. So his conscious mind like completely shut down and his unconscious mind fully took over. And he uh, basically in that situation, you allow your body to be at its best, whichever. However, obviously, we know Tiger trained it to even be the best and his conscious mind just shut off so he could he could do it. So that's. Like flow state. You ever hear a baseball pitcher say, I mean, a batter say, the ball came at me so slowly. I could, it was easy for me to see it. A tennis player, it was like this huge ball coming over. Or a golfer, the hole was huge today. The fairways were wider. That's a type of flow state because it also changes your perspe- perception of what you're seeing. And Debbie, I'm assuming a lot of this is a part of a wonderful program that you have called Keys to a Champion Mindset. Talk about that program and how our limiting beliefs can keep us from rising up to our full potential. Yeah, I'd say that one of the best ways to describe this is to explain that I had a client one time come to me who was just a high-level, low-hit, single-digit female amateur golfer. And she came to me and said, I feel like I'm not reaching my full potential. I'm close, but I'm not there. And we dug in to her thoughts and her emotions and her beliefs. And what we found in her story was, you know, she said, when I'm by myself, 
I am so relaxed. I play great. I celebrate my birdies and, and I get excited. I'm just in the moment when I'm out on the golf course. When I'm with others, I'm kind of worried about what they're thinking. And, and, you know, if I get a birdie, I get almost embarrassed. Like I hope they didn't notice that it was a birdie. So what we found out was when she, where she grew up in that area, it was not a good thing to stand out. If you stood out, you, it was, you were deemed as like being cocky or you were disrespected because you were, you stood out from everybody. And so she developed this belief that it was bad to stand out. And here she is, single digit female golfer, which there aren't many. So when she would enter her tournament, she would definitely stand out. And then she'd go out and play well, which make her more of a standout. And then if she won, that would be even a bigger standout. So unconsciously, she had a belief that if she stood out, she wouldn't be liked or valued or loved or appreciated, right? And, wow. and those are basic human needs that we, we desire. So when we helped her reframe that and release that old belief, she, I'll never forget the, the email I got. She said, she wrote me, she said, Debbie, can you tell I'm like a kid on Christmas Day? She said, <laughs> I went out and I was just so in the moment. I was relaxed. I felt like my authentic self. I celebrated my birdies, I was resilient if the ball didn't go where I wanted, like without the doubt and beating herself up at all, she would just be resilient and ready for the next shot. So those unconscious beliefs, I coached uh, professionals who played golf when they were juniors, when they were kids. And as a kid, their their whole value and worth was about how well they played golf. And there was a lot of pressure on them to play well. You know, kids who, um, or adults today who, when they were a kid, they had a parent maybe who would watch them play any sport. You know, I had one whose dad would watch her play basketball and then afterwards criticize everything she did wrong. So as a kid, you develop this belief that says, I have to be perfect and I have to win or I disappoint my parents. And if I continually disappoint them, they're going to love me. I'm going to be like, I'm not good enough. Like many have this this belief they're not good enough. So imagine the pressure of golf alone is a challenging game, and then you're also trying to prove you're valued and worthy on top of it, and you're trying to be perfect because that's how, as a kid, and these are beliefs that we develop as a kid. That's what, you, as a kid, you felt. It wasn't maybe necessarily true. Maybe, the, you know, the parent meant, you know, you're that good. I want you to notice these things because I believe in you, and I value you, and I want you to be the best you can be. But as a kid, we think I'm not good enough and I'm disappointing my parents. So, so we dig deep into that and release it. And then, then the professional goes out and they're so much more relaxed when they play. And there's, they're just playing the game now rather than the unconscious. And they don't even re- realize this till we get into the coaching. So the unconscious has these beliefs. And that's what we dive into in the five days. We figure out what's going on that's getting in the way of you playing your best golf. And we find that what we call a root cause of the presenting problem, which is I fall apart at the end of my round. Or anytime I have a chance to win a tournament, I fall apart. You know, something comes up that gets in the way. It's really fascinating, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating. And it's just like flow state, right? We want to be in the moment, not worry about the outcome of the shot. And if you're, if the outcome of the shot is equal to my value and worth, you know, it's hard to let go of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm still trying to prove myself, or that's me proving myself. 
many Olympic athletes have gone through this. Their whole life, they're just proving themselves, proving themselves, proving themselves. And all their identity came from being an Olympic athlete or great in their sport their whole life. And then when that goes away, they have a real challenge in their identity. Michael Phelps still has a, says he has a struggle each day, you know, mentally, because yeah. his whole life and value was that. And that's the importance of teaching kids that they're, they're valuable for trying and giving their best effort. They're valuable because they wake up in the morning and, and they're a, a wonderful human being who deser- is deserving of being loved and appreciated. And when you can teach it, so those of you who have kids, make sure you applaud their effort. Make sure you get excited for them just being a person and smiling and having fun and not just the rewards of great performance. Debbie, you mentioned cause and effect a moment ago. And many of us, after a round, when we're looking at our scorecards, the first thing we gravitate to are the bad things, the bad holes. If I hadn't three-putted on 12 or if I didn't hit it in the water on 15, talk about the inner critic and the cause and effect concept. I tell you what, go to the 19th hole of any golf course and hang out and listen to the conversations because what you just described is what the conversations are all about. That inner critic, we have these voices in our head and, and, and the one that we rarely hear unless we've invited it to be our loudest voice is that intuition, which is all knowing and gives you the right answer. The one that gives you the feeling, oh, I need a different club because maybe you didn't notice the wind came up and, and you had an eight in your hand and you're, something tells you you need the seven. And then how many of us go, nah, just hit it anyway. This is the right club. I did the yardage. And you're standing in, in the what we call play box already, boom, and we swing and, we're, and then we're short. We're like, ah, oh, you know what? Something told me I needed the seven. Well, that's intuition. Unfortunately, with many people, that inner critic becomes the loudest voice. And, and throughout the round even, and then afterwards. And that too is, is, is sets us up for where we're focused. The inner critic is always looking for what's wrong. You know, our brain itself is set up to look for what can hurt us. The brain's job is to protect us. So it's looking out for what can hurt us. And anything that's negative, it's going to see first unless you retrain that. And that inner critic then, get you focused on that and you start believing and focusing on all the bad shots. And if you get on a hole that you have every time hit it out of bounds right or seemingly every time, you go up there and you're going to focus on that out of bounds again because you beat yourself up. Because here's the thing too, Chris, those of you out there who get emotionally negative after shots, I encourage you to interrupt that state because we have this part of our brain called the amygdala. And when you put emotion and and especially negative, it's 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 much stronger than positive. Put a negative emotion with an event, it's going to be connected neurologically. Like how many people remember, obviously, where they were 9-11? You know, you can remember like the moment you heard about it, where you were, probably almost what you were wearing and, and what you were thinking and feeling and the, in that moment. Why? Because it was a negative and it, it was it was highly emotional. And it was a major event that gets connected. Well, you're doing that to yourself after a poor golf shot. If you're like, oh, my gosh, and you're so emotionally negative and you're getting frustrated, you're connecting that emotion with that club or that hole. 
or that tee shot you just hit or the shot that you just messed up in the bunker. And guess what happens the next time you step into that bunker if you did that to yourself? You're going to have all the negatives flood back because that's what you just neurologically connected with it, and that's what you'll remember the most. That's what gets imprinted in the memory. So watch out for that inner critic and start to focus on what you want instead. Because what you want is not to say, why do I keep three-putting? I can't believe I can't keep slicing my driver. And and why do I keep slicing it? You don't really want to know that. You want to know, how can I make two putts or less? How can I hit the ball down the middle? How can I feel calm and confident over this shot? You know, how can I hit that nice little draw? That's what you want to know, and that's what you want to focus on. I mean... I was playing a tournament one time, and I, I did had a couple three-putts, and but my thought was, oh, my gosh, why do I keep three-putting? And I, oh, wait, no, I don't care right now. I want to know how can I do make two-putts or less. And what you do is there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system. When you ask it a question, you activate it to look for the answer. So you want to ask positive leading questions. How can I improve my golf game? What do I need to do and learn to get better and improve? Love that. And Debbie, speaking of negative emotion, in one of your recent Tuesday talk videos that you post on your social media pages, which are fantastic, by the way, you talked about having a bias for action and not just any action, but doing something differently. Talk about that. Well, you know, when you when you do something differently, you're going to stretch yourself. And having that bias for action and taking action is the key. So when you set a goal, when you decide you want to do something, you know, uh, Tony Robbins always says, never leave the site of setting a goal without taking some kind of action towards it. So then your brain says, oh, we're really doing this. She actually made that phone call or she actually went out for the walk or for the run or, or started lifting weights today. Right now, we just set this goal. I guess, I guess she means it. We're taking action. So action is a key that's going to take you to that next level. Action is going to set everything in motion mentally as well. And and then it gets you focused on the goal and having that bias towards the action is key. Um, And and stretching yourself, seeing different things. You know, ask yourself in the morning, I wonder what something I'll notice today that I haven't even noticed before in my life. You know, actually look for positive, different things in your life. What's going to make me laugh today? Then it that that we're we're telling our brain look for something to make me laugh, and all of a sudden it's looking for it because it's so interesting, Chris. There are so many bits of information that come into our brain, like 11 million every moment, and all, we can only grab 137 or 134 bits of information. So how do we know which 134 to grab? Well, we tell our brain to focus. Kind of that example of. If you bought a new car, say it was a blue car and it was an Audi, <laughs> that's the car I have. So obviously that's going to come to my mind. All right, so you have that. As soon as you buy that or lease it and you drive off the lot, it's like every car you see is that color or, or it's the Audi everywhere. Why? You just told your brain that's important to you. So when it drives by, it's actually going to notice it where before it didn't. And if you want to notice positive things about yourself and your golf game, Start to look for them, and it'll shift your the, your whole life. Maybe let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about staying in the moment. You know, 
we can be out playing a great round of golf. Maybe we've had 16 really good holes. We're on pace to shoot our lowest score ever, break 90, break 80, whatever it is. And then one of our buddies says, yeah, you know what? If you par these last two holes, you're going to break 80. And the next thing you know, we make a double bogey and, and, uh, and we've blown it. Talk about how can we stay in the moment, it, whether we're playing, you know, ourselves or whatnot, or when somebody breaks that by telling us we're about to do something great. Great question. And it happens so often, doesn't it? Even after the front night, oh my gosh, you shot this after the front. You're like, I didn't want to know my score. <laughs> Whatever it is. So first things first, first things first, don't blame the other person. Don't say, oh my God, I had it. Why did you say that? Like, don't shift it to getting mad at that because it's how you react. That's the key. You know, there was, it, it, there's that great formula and, and who's ever listening, write this down. E, Plus R equals O. You have the event. The person says, holy cow, you're playing great today. Par, par, and you you break 80. That's the event. Plus R equals the outcome. So many go, oh, man, he said this to me, and then I blew it. So it's the event and goes to the outcome. Well, in between, there's the R, which is how you respond to it. How you respond to it. So that's recognizing that it's not that person's fault that they just said that or nothing bad might not happen. You can say, oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Thank you. And then we get back in and now you have to control it. Now it's present moment, one shot at a time. So I can recall when I was coming down the stretch of a tournament and um, I was shooting my best round and I started feeling my heartbeat um, probably on 16, because I knew I was playing my best round. And I just kept saying, stay in the present moment, one shot at a time. Because historically, what I would do out there, I would picture the phone call with my mom and saying, Mom, I shot blank, blank, blank. And I'm going to that moment. I, you have to reel that back. You have to reel it in. I had just read the book by Spencer Johnson called The Present. And it's not a golf book, but it's about being in the present moment. So literally reminding yourself to stay in the present. Remove yourself from the game for a moment, too, meaning look around and get in gratitude. When you're in gratitude, you actually can't be stressed. Could your heart still be beating for the excitement? Sure, but, but it wouldn't be a negative stress. So if you go to gratitude, wow, this is the position I want to be in. Billie Jean King said pressure is a privilege. And, and isn't that why we're practicing? Isn't that why right. you get frustrated on bad days? Because you want to be in this situation. So go to gratitude of one, hey, I'm just thankful to be out here and, you know, look at that beautiful blue sky. Look, This golf course is beautiful. I can walk. I'm so grateful I can be out here and walk and see and hear and feel if you can do all those things. And, and that will help you. And then literally what I did coming down the stretch was I said one shot at a time, this moment, this shot. And, and control your, your conscious mind thoughts. And then remember, there's that think box area. Once you decide on your shot and you, the key there too, um, Chris, is to have a clear intention. Know what you want to do on the next shot. Be clear and make it simple. Very, very specific. Like, okay, this tee shot, I'm going to start it right there at that tree. I'm going to draw it into the center. Beautiful. See it, feel it, know it. Be very intentional because then your unconscious mind will support you. 
if you're not sure, if you don't pick a clear target of, of your intention, your unconscious mind's like, wait, what are we trying to do? So make sure you're clear. <laughs> you can remind yourself, stay in the moment. Stay in the moment. Like right here, whoop, reel it in. And then when you step into that play box, that, con- on, that conscious mind's got to shut off. And you just go target something, you know, you know, anything. I mean, visualize the target, relax, look at that ball, get into that moment and swing. And then, can, like, it's going to be work after someone says something like that. Nope, stay in the moment, one shot at a time. Stay in, talk to yourself. You know, don't just let your own thoughts run wild. Control them and put in the thoughts that you know are going to serve you. Debbie, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? Following you on your website and then over social media as well. Yeah, sure. Um, my website is debbie-oconnell.com. And you'll see on there, there's a free uh, five-day challenge, Chris, on there. And it's just uh, each day you'll get a video, and it's about three minutes long. It gives you a little challenge, little teaching and a challenge for the day. And it'll help you to start to take charge of your mindset and your emotional state so you can create the life that you want. And that's the key. You get to create it. So that's my website. I'm on Instagram, uh, Debbie underscore O underscore Connell. And then just look for Debbie O'Connell or Golf Positive. I do a monthly show on my Golf Positive page. And uh, just I've had Annika on and, and Kathy Whitworth and I have Sandra Palmer coming up the first Tuesday of went the first uh Wednesday each month. So uh I, I just thankful, Chris, congratulations for all you do. You are amazing. The research you put in, the work you do beforehand is always evident and and the questions you ask are fabulous and thank you for what you do. It's entertaining and I I, I mean I love it. I learn so much each time I'm listening as well. So thank you. Appreciate that very much, Debbie. You're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking Time out of your busy schedule to come back for an 11th time. I'm already looking forward to number 12. I hope it's not too long from now. I am too, Chris. Thank you so much. Take care, Debbie. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Okay. That is the great Debbie O'Connell. Get in gratitude. There you go. That's a great way to kind of, if you're in the moment and you're stressed and things are uh, you know, a little hairy, you need, you need a little something, go over to gratitude. I love that idea. And then the E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. Love those things. So I'll be carrying those with me. And I just, the mindset piece, right? Golf positive. That's what you're going to get from Debbie O'Connor. You're going to get a positive mindset. And then when you go over to, whether it's her, her website or you, you go over to her social media pages, and I highly recommend you do it. The things that you're going to get from Debbie on a daily basis is positivity. Everything she does is with a positive mindset and it's going to put you in the right frame of mind. She does a lot of stuff at the beginning of the day. So if you go over there and you're watching the things she does, she's going to get your day started off on the positive note and it's just going to grow and get better from there. And those pieces of advice are something I'm going to carry over to the golf course. Look forward to catching up with Debbie again soon. Before I get to my next guest, Charlie Meacham, I want to remind you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Is your driver adjustable? Of course it is. How about your irons? Didn't think so. Adele's new SMS irons give you adjustability in an iron to match your swing. These new irons come with three weights lined up across the back of the club. By moving the heavy weight to the heel, center, or toe location, you can match the club to your swing instead of vice versa. The result? Total control of the club face for more distance and accuracy. Your irons can't do this. 
Check them out online by going to adelgolf.com. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented Squares Toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, get the Squares 30-day money-back guarantee, and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Squares, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is Charlie Meacham. Let me give you some background on Charlie. He's from Nelsonville, Ohio, which is a little southeast of Columbus. He graduated from Miami University of Ohio with his undergraduate degree and Yale Law School. Charlie served three years in the Army. He was the chairman and CEO of Taft Broadcasting Company, which later became the Great American Broadcasting Company. In October of 1990, he became the commissioner of the LPGA Tour. He's been a business advisor to several golf legends, including Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer, who we'll talk about in length tonight, but also Julie Inkster, Annika Sornstam, and Dottie Pepper. In 2000, he was named a Great Living Cincinnatian, the highest honor awarded by the city of Cincinnati. He's previously written a couple of great books titled Total Anecdotal, a fun and unique guide to help you become a better speaker and writer, and Who's That with Charlie, which is so fascinating that once you pick it up, you're not going to be able to put it down. He's written a new book out that's titled Arnie and Jack, Stories of My Long Friendship with Two Remarkable Men, which you can get out on Amazon.com. And I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Charlie, thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure, pal. How you doing? I'm good, Charlie. How are you? I'm fine. I'm in uh, Boulder, Colorado, where we spend the summers. Uh, we live in the winter in La Quinta, California, but you don't want to be there right now because it's about 110. So <laughs> anyway, well, I'm fine. Thanks. Charlie, I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan, and I, I know you spent a lot of time with both Mr. Nicholas and Mr. Palmer. You've written a wonderful book with a lot of great stories. Talk about the decision that uh, made you want to write the book. I made a speech at the club where I belong in La Quinta called Tradition, which is a course that Arnie designed. And uh, after I made the speech, Several people came up to me and said, you know, you may be one of the very few people who knew Arnie and Jack intimately at the same time. And I said, well, you may be right. And uh, they said, why don't you write a book and share these stories with the public? So that's what I did. And it's really interesting, Chris, because... These stories in this book have never really been told before. Maybe one or two have, but most of them are stories that were personal to me, and that's what I'm sharing uh, with the public. And uh, it was really fun to write, and that was why I did it. Charlie, there's so many great stories in this book. I, I want to talk about several of them, and there's one where 
PGA Tour commissioner at the time, Tim Fincham, reached out to you to try to convince Mr. Nicholas and Mr. Palmer to collaborate on designing a course at the World Golf Village, what turned out to be the King and the Bear, but neither of them yep. wanted to do it. Talk about that story. This is one of my favorite stories because Tim Fincham called me one day and he said, I need your help. I, I remember Chris saying, Tim, this is an historic moment because never before in history has the commissioner of the PGA Tour asked the commissioner of the LPGA Tour for help. <laughs> and he said, well, I, I do need your help. I can't get Jack and Arnie to design together a golf course at the World Golf Hall of Fame called the King and the Bear. And he said, I've tried and tried and tried. And they come up with all these excuses and all these answers. Uh, but he said, would you give it a whirl? And I said, sure, I'll give it a try. So I had a couple of talks with both Arnie and Jack about designing this course. And I got nowhere. And finally, one day, I had a brainstorm. I was talking to Jack, and I said, Jack, you really need to do this course at the World Golf Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm so busy, and we don't really share the same design philosophy. Come on, come on, come on. I, I'm not sure I can do it. I said, okay, Jack, this is my last effort to get you to do it. So I just want you to be prepared and Arnie to be prepared to play the player Trevino course. Well, <laughs> immediately, what? What are you talking about? Well, you, if, if you guys don't do it, do you think the tour is just going to say, okay, fine, we won't do it? They're going to ask Lee Trevino and Gary Player to design the course. And I, I really hope I'm there when you two guys tee off on the player Trevino course. Well, anyway, Chris, you, as you would imagine, within within 10 days, spades were in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, did, they did the course together. Charlie, you also talk about how Mr. Palmer once approached Annika Sorenstam before she played in the Colonial National Invitational on the, uh, on the PGA Tour. And Mr. Palmer went up to her and asked her a simple question, and that question was, why? And you had to intervene to explain to Mr. Palmer what she was thinking. Tell that story. We were playing, or they were playing, a uh, commercial shoot at the course where I lived and still do live in Laquita, California, tradition. And on 18 T, I'll never forget this, Chris, Arnie walked over to Annika and about, you know, 12 inches from her face said, why? Well, she had no idea what he was talking about. And he said, why? And so I said, Annika, he's... Uh, talking about your playing at the Colonial in the men's tour. So she made some efforts, not successfully, I think, to explain to him why. So the next day, I said, Arnie, look, I know you don't understand why she's doing this, but let me ask you this. If 
in some future day, the PGA Tour developed an event which was a, a what a step above the PGA Tour. Wouldn't you want to play in an event which was bigger than the PGA Tour? Well, of course I would. And I said, well, Arnie, that's all she's trying to do. She's just is trying to figure out if she has the game to play with the men. That's it. Well, he got it, and he wrote her, Chris, the nicest letter, saying he understood, he wished her well, and go get him. I've, I've, I've never forgotten that. But he, uh, it was really interesting because he really couldn't get his arms around why she was doing it until he understood that she was doing it to test her own game. And that's the way it worked out. Charlie, you also talk about in the book how different both Mr. Palmer and Mr. Nicholas were, especially when they got older. Mr. Palmer still playing every day. Mr. Nicholas rarely ever playing. Neither man could understand the way the other one was. Talk about why. This is one of my favorite stories. When I spent 10 years sharing an office with Arnie at Bay Hill, every six weeks or so, I would go down to North Palm and, and visit with my old pal, Nicholas. So one day I said to Arnie, I'm going to see Jack tomorrow. He said, well, give me my best. So the next day, I went into Jack's office. We had a nice visit. I said, Arnie says to say hello. He said, Charlie, how's he, how's he doing? I said, he, Jack, I think he's doing fine. He said, does he still play golf every day? And I said, well, yes, he does. Yeah, he just kind of shook his head. So the next day, I'm back in uh, Bay Hill. And I said, Jack says hello. And Arnie says, how's he doing? I said, he's, he's doing fine. Seems fine. And Arnie says, uh, is he playing much golf? And I said, really not much golf now. Uh, maybe occasionally, but not a lot. And Arnie looked at me straight on and says, well, Charlie, then what the hell does he do all day long? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> I have never forgotten that. And because Jack couldn't understand why Arnie played every day, and Arnie couldn't understand why Jack didn't. <laughs> Charlie, you also tell a story about having lunch one day with Mr. Palmer shortly after the Masters, maybe the day after the Masters one year, and, and you asked him about what he thought about a player in the lead laying up on both 13 and 15. Can you talk about what his response was to that? One of, one of the great moments in my life in terms of hearing Arnold, I, this was the day after the tournament, and the player who had laid up on 13 and 15 did not win. So I said, Arnie, um, did you ever play up on 13 and 15? He looked at me and he said, Charlie, do you know how many times I've come in second at Augusta? 
And I said, well, no, no, I really don't. He said, neither do I. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there was no, there was no second place for Arnie. No second place. But I've never, I've never forgotten that because the, the thought of laying up for Arnie was simply unthinkable, Chris. Simply unthinkable. And that's why he, and this, by the way, this is a little, beyond the question you asked, but I once said to Arnie, uh, Arnie, you know, uh, I've often been asked, how can you play Augusta as well as you do? You won it five times. When your trajectory of your ball is about four feet off the ground. (laughs) Uh, And he said, Charlie, it's very simple. When I knew that I had to play Augusta, I knew I had the trajectory higher than I normally did, so I simply did it. And I, I've never forgotten that, Chris, because he he dealt with a problem that he had to de- deal with, and he and he dealt with it. And not not many players, in my opinion, could he could or would do that, but he did. Charlie, you also tell a story about having dinner with Mr. Palmer and his wife, talking about maturity. And when you really reach maturity is when you meet somebody and realize that he or she is better than you are at what you do best. Talk about that story and what Mr. Palmer's response to that was. In the uh, in my book, this has come under the title of Oops, because when I said what I said, I thought, oh, my God, why did I say that? But the story is that my wife, Marilyn, and I had dinner with Arnie and Kit at Palmer's Restaurant in La Quinta. And uh, in the course of the evening, you know, you have a couple of drinks, and you start, start thinking about things. And I said, uh, as we talked about aging and getting older, I said, Arnie, uh, I've come to realize that really true maturity is when you meet, meet somebody that is better at what you do than you do yourself. And I thought, oh, Jesus, why did I say that? Because I, that could have been an ugly answer. But without a hesitation, Arnie said, Charlie, that was Jack. The minute I saw Jack, I knew he was the best. Charlie, just a couple more before I let you go. And I think what separated Mr. Nicholas from the rest of the field was his focus and his mental toughness. Tom Watson talked about when Jack would go walking by, he'd be so focused. People used to refer to his eyes as the steely blues. And you had an experience with watching Jack at a tournament where he walked by you, looked you in the eye, and didn't react in any way. And you were concerned that maybe you had done something wrong because he didn't acknowledge you. Talk about his focus in that story. That's right. We met the night before to conclude a business deal. And we had a very warm and close uh, dinner. So the next day, I go out to the course, and I position myself where I knew I'd see Jack from the tee to the next green. He walked right by me, looked right at me, didn't mean a word, didn't, didn't get anything. So I was devastated. What the hell did I do? So I saw his one of his... 
pals the next hour or so. And I said, what, what happened? Well, he told me, he said, Charlie, he never saw you. He, his concentration level is such that when he walks from the green to the next tee, he doesn't even know you're there. And I think back on that a lot, Chris, because Tiger is probably the closest to having that same level of concentration. But Jack, when he played, there was nothing else on the golf course. Nothing. The only thing he was thinking about was playing in the next hole. I've never, ever forgotten that because I learned a lot about why he was so great. And Charlie, from all your time as a business partner with Mr. Nicholas, your friendship with him, I read that you learned six lessons from him. One of them is don't be afraid to challenge the norm. And the other is don't ever challenge Jack Nicholas. Both seem like good <laughs> advice. Both are good advice. Uh, you know, Jack, uh, as when Tiger came along, obviously people began to compete and say who is the best and so on. But when I look back at the level of competition that Jack played against, probably you could name them as well as I, uh, probably five or six Hall of Famers, Watson, Trevino, Player, and so on. And I say to myself, hey, he came in more seconds and more thirds than any golfer in history. And that was because he focused. He knew how to focus. And he never, ever, Chris, ever uh, demeaned or diminished his competitors. I remember when he lost a tragic loss at Pebble in, what, 72, when uh, Tom Watson chipped in on 17 and then ended up beating Jack on 18. I remember going back to the to the uh, press room, and the word was that Jack had gone around to, to uh, Tom and put his arm around him and said, you little son of a bitch, you beat me again. <laughs> 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 and, you know, Tom did. Tom, he, Tom didn't then beat him at the, at the Zool of the Sun. And, uh, but Jack, if you look at the number of first, seconds, and third, uh, nothing even close. Not even close. And that says a lot to me. Charlie, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they get a copy of your book? Plus, listen to your podcast. Uh, my podcasts are on my website, which I think is just charliemeacham.com. Getting the book is uh, easy. It's on Amazon or the USGA has a publications arm, and you can buy it that way, too. And, uh, by the way, uh, Chris is doing well. I'm very pleased with the uh, reception. I had a lot of fun writing it, and uh, I thank you a lot for giving me an opportunity to expose a little bit more about why I wrote it and why I feel so strongly about these guys. I I can't say enough for these two men and what they meant, not just to the play of the game, but to the integrity of the game. That's at least as important to me. So thank you for giving
my few opportunities to talk. I appreciate you so much, Charlie. You are endlessly fascinating, and I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime real soon. Always a privilege to get to spend time with you. Anytime you wish, I'm brittle. I <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it, Charlie. Stay I'm, safe, my hey, friend. All the best I'm, I'm 92 years old, so I I'm know. available. I'm ready. Thank Thank you, you, Charlie. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Bye bye. See you, Charlie. This is the great Charlie Meacham, folks. He had an amazing career. All three of his books are so much fun to read. The people he's met, the stories he tells are off the charts good. And like he said, on September 12th, he'll turn 92 years of age. What an amazing man. Like I say, I'm already looking forward to having him back on the show again soon. Before I get to my next guest, Stephen Yellen, I want to talk to you about a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs have just released their new Spring and Summer 22 collections with fun, new, and exciting prints like the Freedom 2 and 3, Santa Fe, Tigers, Zebras, and Duckies. And their new exclusive Folds of Honor collection, where they donate 20% of all Folds of Honor sales proceeds to that cause. The patented Joey Pouch technology delivers maximum comfort, fit, and performance while preventing any unwanted skin-on-skin contact or chafing. Good for anything from the golf course, to the boardroom, to the bedroom. You can find these two underperformance briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shield Sports stores, all PGA Tour superstores, Golf Galaxy, Dillard's, and other fine retailers near you. You can also order them online at twounder.com. That's the number two, UNDR.com. Two Under, performance in your pants. Use code NEXTT20, that's N-X-T-T-E-E-20, for a 20% discount on the Two Under website. also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Stephen Yellen. Stephen has developed a program called the Fluid Motion Factor. He's taught his concepts to great players like Scott McCarron, a great friend of the show, plus Robert Allenby, Lee Jansen, Gabby Lopez, and Trevor Immelman. He teaches them at the Ledbetter Academy down in Orlando, Florida, and I'm excited to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Stephen, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Chris. Good to be here. Stephen, I went to your website, fluidmotiongolf.com. You've got a great video of Scott McCarron singing your praises. Scott's been on the show several times, and he says he couldn't have won the Charles Schwab Cup without your program. That's pretty high praise. Yeah. Um, you know, Scott learned the program the year he uh, entered the Champions Tour at 50 years old. And, you know, he, he had a relatively solid career uh, on, on the PGA um, circuit. He won three times, which is uh, commendable. But all of a sudden, he catches on fire on the Champions Tour and ends up winning 11 times so far. Um, and the Schwab Cup, and you know, it's not like he turned fifty and all of a sudden he woke up and he found a magic move in his swing. No, he always had that talent. But like most golfers, 
even on the highest level, they do not access it consistently. And what my program teaches, it teaches you how to access what you already own. So you're not playing blackjack out there every time you play. So talk about that. What is the fluid motion factor and how do we access it? Well, the fluid motion factor, it's, um, it's a neurophysiological process in the brain that has to be accessed in order to produce fluid motion. So just to give you a brief uh, background, a little neurophysiological background, to create a motion, any motion, whether it's uh, walking across the street or swinging a golf club, you have to generate uh, an intention, electrical signal in the brain, or else the club's not going to move. Now, there are two parts of the brain that are really interesting in, produce, in producing motion. One is the prefrontal cortex, which is also known as the intellect, and the other is uh, the motor system. So, when someone produces a fluid motion, doesn't matter what sport it is, during that motion, for instance, in golf, it's about a second and a half, that signal bypasses the prefrontal cortex. In other words, the intellect goes offline, goes directly to the motor system, and it's a motor system which communicates with the body to produce motion. The problem, and it's a huge problem, especially if you're an elite golfer, is when the intellect or the PFC goes online. And then it delays the signal moving to the motor system. Then in the middle of the motion, there's too many processes going on, and that's when the bulkier core muscles dominate the motion and you produce anything but a fluid motion. So my program teaches you how to set up this there. It's a very subtle environment. Golfers know, anyone who's listening to this uh, podcast knows that when you're in that space, it's a delicate space. It's ridiculously, feels ridiculously simple and easy to play elite golf when you're in that space, but virtually very few, if any golfers, know how to systematically set up accessing that space, and that's what I teach. One of the things I've heard you say is that players oftentimes are sabotaging themselves. Talk about how we're doing that. Okay, so <laughs> virtually all the golfers, for the most part, are sabotaging themselves, even on the highest level. And the reason why, Chris, is that you have to understand that the brain physiology, and this has nothing to do with sports psychology. My program has nothing to do with sports psychology. My program has to do with neurophysiology, is that the brain has to exist in a very specific environment in order to repeat emotion. There's no belief involved in this. This is science. And that environment can be described in one word, wholeness. Brain physiology was um, was designed to produce fluid motion when it experiences wholeness. Now, wholeness is a very abstract concept, so let's make it concrete. You're on the course, you're behind the ball, and you're setting up your shot. You take into consideration all the elements of the shot, the lie, the wind, the temperature, what you want to hit, how you want to hit it, how conservative, how aggressive, where you are in the round, where you are in your career. It could be, uh, you know, Eight, nine, ten, fifteen different things. Now, everybody's made a smoothie before, so we're going to make a golf smoothie. We're going to put all those elements in a blender. Now, if you're over the ball and and you have not made a smoothie, meaning that one element of the shot or the swing is pulsating over another element. Don't hit a left. Don't hit a right. Get the club in this position. 
explained it like this. And you have not experienced a threshold level of wholeness before you pull the trigger. Then, and you pull the trigger, then the delicate processes in the brain physiology that are responsible for stinking emotion, for having good tempo, for finding the correct slot, coming down, for squaring it up, for completing the swing, not holding it on, are challenged. And for the most part, you go into crisis management mode. And that's when anything can happen during the swing. So the key element in playing golf is really unknown to most people. The key element in playing consistent golf, if you have a repetitive swing, is the quality of space immediately preceding you pulling that trigger. If you have not made a smoothie, if something is pulsating over something else, then, and you pull the trigger, then there's, uh, there's a singer I like to talk about in this particular instance who sings a song called, It's Too Late, Baby. It's too late. <laughs> if you, pull, if you pull that trigger and you do not have a threshold level of wholeness, I don't care if you're Tiger Woods. I just heard a fascinating conversation about Jack and Arnie. I don't care if you're, uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick. I don't care if you're John Rom. I don't care if you're anybody. And or what you have done on the preceding shot, if you have not experienced a threshold level of wholeness and you pull that trigger, it's Carol King. And essentially, you're sitting at the blackjack table at the Bellagio and you have no idea what card is going to be dealt to you. Stephen, when we think we've had a breakdown in our swing, maybe we had some wildly terrible shot way out of bounds yeah. off the tee yeah. or. We hit some crazy shot off the fairway. We either yes. tee up another one, we drop a second ball on the fairway. And boy, that second guy is always better than that first guy, which tells Why? me it isn't the swing this bad. It's a mental thing. No. Here's the thing, Chris. First of all, all of, tell me what aspect of life is not mental, right? Everything is <laughs> mental. Yeah. Right? Try playing golf when you're sleeping. So <laughs> the, 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 this program was developed in conjunction with a world-class neuro um, scientist who worked with two Olympic teams, Denmark and 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 um, Norway, two of the top Winter Olympic teams in the world. And every summer for about 10 years, I would sit down with him and we would go deeply into the neurophysiology answering one question. Just one, I just was interested in one question. I don't care about anything else. How is fluid motion produced and why does it break down? And it's always, it's produced identically for every athlete producing any motion in any sport. It breaks down identically for every athlete producing any motion in any sport. Now, my program rests on two scientific facts. This is not Stephen Yellen's, you know, um, uh, idea about it or his approach or his take on it. The first, which every golfer needs to know, and they don't, and this is why for the most part they will not reach their potential in the game. And when this doctor, Fred Travis, told me this, there was a nuclear explosion in my brain because I realized the ramification. It was paradigm shifting. He said, you know, Stephen, that once you groove emotion, that motion can't break down. What breaks down is the ability to access it. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. So what does this mean? It means you do not have to recreate the wheel on every shot. You do not have to live in checklist city. 
you do not have to be in swing prison, which virtually every golfer is in swing prison. They are trying to reinvent the swing, reinvent the swing, make sure you've got this position in this part of the swing, et cetera, et cetera. They are looking for their sunglasses and they're on the top of their head. What they have to learn, and again, we're talking about someone with a groove motion. We're not talking about a beginning golfer. Is they have to, they have to learn how to access the subtle processes in the brain physiology that allows them to access their money in the bank. And these processes are very, very subtle. That's why it took a long, long time to develop my program. But if you're over that ball and you have a groove swing and you're thinking, I have to get the club in this position. I have to take it away like this. I can't be too shallow. I can't be too steep. And you're feeling you have to reinvent the swing, reinvent the swing. Chances are wholeness is going to be broken before you pull the trigger and you're going to be singing Carol King, it's too late, baby. Stephen, for those of us that have been told throughout, you know, our golfing lives, the practice makes perfect. You're going to beat balls on the range when things are going wrong. Wouldn't seem like that makes a lot of sense. It seems like we need to figure out what's blocking us mentally so that can trickle down to our swing path. Is that the right process or, or am I off base? 100%. No, no. Here's the thing, Chris. You know, once you can, once you go to the range and you drop a bu- bucket of balls and you're feeling no pain, you got a repetitive swing. You know if you're there, you're not there, okay? At that point in time, you're, the best avenue you can take is uh, close the book on the swing. It's not going to get much better. And if you go in there and you try to do surgery on, these little things, little you're going to be stuck in swing prison. You're not going to have the freedom you want out there. You're going to play around the golf. You're going to walk off the course. You're going to be a mental and physical wreck because the prefrontal cortex, the intellect, is just going 90, 90 miles an hour, and you are a frustrated golfer, and you do not have to be a frustrated golfer. If I was giving a clinic, I'll give you a friend. If I was giving a clinic with uh, the number one player in the world, Scotty, okay, a a solid college golfer, a good high school golfer, and an and an eighteen handicap golfer. Okay, we got the whole range there, right? They would all get the exact same information. Scotty Scheffler and uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, uh, Fitzpatrick and and Scott McCarran produce fluid motion identical to the guy who just wants to hit a few solid shots during the round. So this is how universal and how fundamental this program is. It should be learned by every golfer on the planet. It's really not my program. I did not invent how fluid motion is produced. (laughs) I may be clever. I'm not the creator. But if you do not understand how to access what you already own, you are playing blackjack uh, out there, and you are changing swing thoughts, and you are trying to figure out um, every week, okay, what's going to work here? What's going to work here? And that's why golfers don't reach their potential. And that's why um, they don't enjoy and, and a lot of them quit the game. So, Stephen, what's the biggest mistake that you see us weekend golfers make? Trying to reinvent something that doesn't have to be reinvented. There is just, they're living in checklist city. They're over that ball and the drama before you pull the trigger rivals any opening on Broadway. It is just unbelievable. Just look at their body language. Everything's going a mile a minute. What they have to understand first is that 
They don't have to reinvent the swing. The money's in the bank. Their swing is in, actually in the part of the brain known as the basal ganglia, which stores muscle memory. What they have to learn how to do, and, and they're going the opposite direction, they're doing more and more. What they have to learn how to do is less and less. They have to learn how to feel when they do hit that second ball, as you mentioned previously, how to feel like that on the first ball. Because that second golfer is, oh, he's, he's, he's quite a golfer, right? So, um, we have a saying here in Florida. I don't know if other people <laughs> have this saying around the United States or the world. Save the drama for the llama. Okay. <laughs> there's so much, there's so much drama before you pull that trigger. Oh my goodness. It is just, and, and then they pull the trigger. And you know what, Chris? Anything could happen during that swing if you don't have a threshold level of wholeness. And if you start analyzing the problem, if you start analyzing, oh, I took it back uh, too far inside, too far outside, too quick, didn't make the transition, um, cast the club, left the club face open, poor tempo, never finished the swing, held on to the club, you are analyzing the byproduct. And what you want to do is you want to go to the fundamental level is that wholeness was broken in your physiology. The body goes into crisis management. And why are you dancing around the surface? You should understand from a fundamental level that you broke wholeness. And if you didn't break wholeness, you would have had an acceptable swing. So is that what separates great players like Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods from the rest of us? What separates Jack Nicklaus and what separated... Fitzpatrick with that with that shot uh, that nine iron out of the sand on eighteen is not the quality of their swing. You go to the range on a PGA tour or Corn Ferry or LPGA, you can't tell the difference. You tell me you can tell the difference who's ranked ten and who's ranked one hundred and ten. You can't. Am I right or wrong? You're right. So what is it? It's not the quality of their motion. It's the quality of their silence. During the motion, it's how much silence, because this is the, silence and wholeness is the same thing. How much silence can be infused into the brain physiology when you're under the gun? And you saw it very clearly um, uh, on Sunday at the U.S. Open. So what golfers need to learn after they learn the fundamentals, you have to have a fundamental swing, okay? You're not going to get water out of a rock. So fundamental, that's why you have to go to a qualified instructor. But there's a certain point in a golfer's career, I don't care if it's a PGA pro or just a weekend warrior, where they have to put the swing to bed. Okay, this is what I have. This is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to have for the rest of my, my career, my rest of my life as a golfer. Then they have to go to the second stage of their development, which they're not going to. How do I access what I already own? How do I access my best swings? And that's what my program is all about. It changed Scotty's career. It changed Gabby Lopez's career. Lee Jansen uh, lost his card for five years. He went through my program. He got his card about 10 years ago when he was still on the PGA Tour. Trevor Immelman said, I will never win another golf tournament unless I become more abstract. More abstract means more wholeness in my brain physiology. It, it's it's not it's this is not a an elective program. This, 
I mean, th- th- this is um, this is a, a prerequisite, you know, honestly. Well, Stephen, now that you've wet our whistles about what your program can do for us, how do we sign up? Very simple. Go to my website, fluidmotiongolf.com. One word, fluidmotiongolf.com. I charge a lot of money to work with pros and with players. And about two months ago, I woke up and I said, you know what, Stephen, no one figured this out. You figured this out. You have a responsibility and obligation to help golfers around the world. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but it's absolutely the truth. So let's get the program out at a ridiculously low price, even though it should be 10 or 20 times what I'm charging. But let's get it out in mass. So you can buy 26 videos for $49. It'll change your game forever. You buy it right there on the website. Stephen, is there a way for us to follow you on social media as well? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, fluid underscore motion underscore factor. And my Facebook is my name, Stephen with a V, Yellen, Y-E-L-L-I-N. I do a lot of posting uh, on, on both outlets. Stephen, it's been great having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Oh, Chris, we've got a lot to talk about, buddy. We just touched <laughs> the surface. I look forward to talking about it, too. Stephen, you've been great, my friend. I can't thank you thanks. enough for your time. Looking forward to catching up soon. You got it. That is Stephen Yellen. S-T-E-V-E-N is the spelling of his first name, last name, Y-E-L-L-I-N. Great stuff from Stephen. FluidMotionFactor.com is the website, Fluid underscore Motion underscore Factor. You can find them on social media. So much great stuff to unpack there, folks. I got to tell you, I certainly have found that the second guy is always way better than the first guy. And then I get in my own way a bunch of times, so I sabotage myself there as well. So 26 videos for $49. How do you go wrong? Go out there and, and subscribe and get those videos And then come back and let me know what you think. And I'm certainly going to go out there and do the same because I could use a lot of that help in that fluid motion piece as a weekend warrior golfer. I know the golf swing. I just got to make sure the stuff between those six inches between my ears is right. And it seems like Steven's got a recipe for us. So look forward to having him back on the show again soon. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again to Tom Patry. Debbie O'Connell, Charlie Meacham, and Stephen Yellen for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are our good friend and director of instruction out of Cherry Hill, Shane LeBaron, will be back. Looking forward to having Shane back as part of the show. We'll also get a return visit from a guy who beat Tiger Woods twice in match play, and that's Nick O'Hearn. And then we'll round it out with a visit from Bruce Devlin. Bruce was not only a great player, having won eight times on the PGA Tour, He was a great announcer and is now a great instructor. Really looking forward to having Bruce as part of the show. So I hope you'll come back and join us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting app. We're out there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podbean, Podcast.co. If you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on that one too. Just go to the search bar and type in next on the T. You'll probably find us on there as well. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to see what our upcoming guest schedule looks like. Plus, we give you links back to recent episodes or individual guest segments. So whether you've got 20 minutes or two hours, we've got great golfing content on there for you. Folks, I know you've got a lot of great golf podcasts out there to choose from. I am very thankful 
that you continue to make next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.